You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Our Father in heaven, it is indeed your breath that is in our lungs. And Father, we this morning, by the power of your Spirit, want to lift up our breath, lift up our lungs, to confess that Jesus Christ is reigning right now at your right hand, seated in glory over the principalities and powers of the air, that He is the exalted Son, the exalted Christ. And that He reigns over a kingdom that will never end. And Father, we thank You that because You have worked in our lives by the power of Your Spirit, through the preaching of the Gospel, that You awakened our hearts and You breathed spiritual life in our bones. So that we would live and become citizens of the kingdom of God. So Father, I pray right now, for your people, that you would help me to give them a word from your word and help me to preach the kingdom of God for the glory of God and help your people to receive that word. And Father, I beg you, keep me from saying anything that makes Jesus look silly or weak. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've learned in previous weeks that Matthew chapter 21 begins with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem as Israel's long-awaited Messiah to bring salvation to His people. But ironically, many of them rejected Jesus when He arrived. In fact, Matthew records that Jesus condemned and confronted those who self-identified as the people of God because they made the house of God, the temple, into a place of business, exploitation, and injustice. When Jesus was there, the chief priests and the teachers of the law of Moses, they likewise became angry because common people and sinners repented and identified Jesus as their messianic Savior. Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 to 22, Jesus curses the fig tree to represent the spiritual climate of Israel. Generally speaking, Israel, in Jesus' time, rejected Him as the Jewish Messiah. Matthew illustrates Israel's faithlessness by highlighting the unbelief of the chief priests, the teachers of the law, 
and the Pharisees who reject Jesus as the Messiah when they questioned his authority. Then in this chapter, Jesus tells two parables about the kingdom of God. The parable of the two sons and the parable of the tenants. To teach us yet again that the religious who reject Jesus as the Jewish Messiah will not inherit the kingdom of God. But sinners who repent, who turn from their sin, and who yield their lives to Jesus Christ by faith in absolute loyalty to Him will inherit the kingdom of God. This text this morning, the parable of the tenants, emphasizes judgment. The Pharisees, the chief priests, and anyone else in the religious establishment, and anyone else who rejects Jesus, who don't repent, who don't follow Him faithfully until the end, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But hear this, brothers and sisters. The fornicators, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the pimps, the drug dealers, the thieves, the adulterers who turn from their sin and give their lives to Jesus Christ will inherit the kingdom of God and will escape God's wrath. So here comes the parable. In verse 33, Jesus says, a landowner planted a vineyard, put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower over it. The landowner rented out the vineyard to tenants before he left town. Verse 34 says, the landowner sent his slaves to the tenants to collect the vineyard's fruit. However, verse 35 says, the tenants took the landowner's slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned yet another. So in verse 36, text says, the landowner sent many more slaves than the first ones, but the tenants did the same thing to them. Then in verse 37, the landowner says, he'll send his son, his one and only son, and he expresses that they will respect my son. But in verse 38, Matthew says, the tenants said to themselves, after they saw his son, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us have his inheritance. Verse 39 says that the tenant seized him, cast him out of the vineyard, and killed him. In verse 40, Jesus asked the chief priest, the elders, and the others listening to the parable the following question. So listen very carefully to the question because now Jesus is going to apply the parable. He says, 
Whenever, therefore, the master of the vineyard should come, what will he do to those tenants? In verse 41, Jesus' audience responded to him and said, he will destroy those evil ones and he will rent out the vineyard to other tenants who will repay or pay him for the fruit in their seasons. Now, in verse 42, Jesus, like a good preacher, is going to quote Scripture. He says, Have you not read in the Scriptures? And he's going to quote Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23, which say this, A stone which the builders rejected, this one became as the main cornerstone. This one is from the Lord. And he is marvelous in our eyes. Now, I'm going to spend most of my sermon talking about Psalm 118 because I don't think you can understand the parable unless you understand Psalm 118. This is the second time Matthew cites from Psalm 118 in this chapter. As Jesus made his triumphal entry, Matthew 21, verse 9 cites Psalm 118, verse 26 when it says, Hosanna to the son of David, which means save us, Lord, to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The crowd's statement in verse 9 cites Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26 in context. Psalm 118 is a psalm that praises God for his steadfast love for his people. Psalm 118, verses 1 through 4. Throughout this psalm, the psalmist acknowledges God has shown his steadfast love to him again and again and again by providing salvation from his enemies. Psalm 118, verses 5 through 13. The psalmist states that because of the Lord's steadfast love, he has achieved victory over his enemies in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118 verses 10 through 12. The phrase in the name of the Lord in the psalm means in the authority of the Lord, in the strength of the Lord. Because the psalmist achieved victory over his enemies not because of his own strength, but because the Lord himself was fighting for him. This is supported, I think, by Psalm 118, verse 13, when the text says, the Lord helped me. And then in verse 14, which says, the Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. Psalm 118 verses 25 and 26 appeals to God to save his people and to give them victory over their enemies. Verse 26 states, the one who comes in the strength of the Lord, with the help of the Lord, with the authority of the Lord, He is the one who was blessed, or he is the one who is honored. Matthew 21, verse 9, 
Matthew says Jesus' followers take the place of the psalmist. And they apply Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26 to him. They appeal to Jesus as the Lord and the King who gives salvation to his people when they assert that Jesus is the blessed one, the honored one who comes in the name of the Lord, in the strength of the Lord, in the power of the Lord, with the authority of the Lord to bring salvation to his people. They also suggest that Jesus' entry into Jerusalem fulfills God's promise to David. That David would have a son, 2 Samuel 7, verses 13 and 14, who would reign over his throne and his kingdom would never end. This is supported, I think, by the fact that two blind men have just called Jesus the son of David in Matthew 20, verse 31. Jesus is the son of David, and he is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, because he is the Lord. Psalm 118, after the psalmist appeals to the Lord to bring salvation, verse 25 ends with the psalmist asking the Lord to bring prosperity to Israel. In Psalm 118, verse 26, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, he is the object of the blessing, which is why that psalm says, we, the people of God, bless you, and that you, by the way, is plural, we bless you, that is, the Lord, and the one who comes in his name from the house of the Lord. When Psalm 118, verse 26 states that we bless you from the house of the Lord. As I said, he means the people of God honor the Lord and the one who comes in the Lord's authority to bring salvation to his people. Matthew applies these verses to Jesus. And he presents him as the messianic deliverer who is the object of worship in Psalm 118, verse 26. And he presents Jesus as the Lord himself, who comes to the temple, who comes to the people of God in the authority of the Lord, Matthew 21, verse 12. And he teaches around the temple in Matthew 21. Here's the point. It's a very precise theological point Matthew is making, and please don't miss it. There's one God, Father, Son, and Spirit in three persons. Jesus is not the Father. Jesus is the Son. Matthew tells you that in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, and elsewhere prior to that. When Jesus was baptized, the Father speaks from heaven. The Spirit comes down and confirms, in fact, the Father's declaration is right, and the declaration is, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew's point is this, as the Son of David, Jesus is not the Father, but brothers and sisters, He is Yahweh. 
Jesus Christ shares in the divine identity of Yahweh. One God, Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons. But that Trinity, that one God in three persons, each person of the Trinity is Yahweh. And Jesus, Matthew is saying, Jesus is the Son of God, is the Lord, who's coming in the name of the Lord to bring salvation to his people. Additionally, just as Matthew cites Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26 and Matthew 21, verse 9, he also cites Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23, and Matthew 21, verse 42. As I stated earlier, Psalm 118 praises God for his steadfast love and providing salvation for his people. The verses Jesus cites in Matthew 21, verse 42, follow the psalmist's praise of the Lord for his salvation in Psalm 118, verse 21. That verse says, quote, I will praise you, the psalmist says, because you have answered me and you will become my salvation. Immediately thereafter, The psalmist says the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's Psalm 118, verse 22. In the context of the psalm, the stone refers to the Lord's provision of salvation from the psalmist's enemies. The context of this psalm suggests the psalmist's enemies threatened him and that the Lord delivered him from them. That the stone represents the Lord's salvation, I think, is confirmed by Psalm 118, verse 23. The builders in the psalm probably refer or represent the psalmist's enemies because they are the ones from whom the Lord gave him salvation. In Psalm 118, verse 24, the psalmist says, This stone, listen very carefully, this stone is marvelous in our eyes. What's marvelous in our eyes, psalmist? The Lord's salvation from our enemies. As a result of his praise for the Lord's past work of salvation and his confidence in the Lord's future work of salvation, the psalmist appeals to the Lord to save his people in Psalm 118, verse 25. Now, Matthew 21, verse 42, Jesus applies Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23 to his own situation. Are y'all still with me? He replies it, applies it to his own situation. In order to tell the religious establishment the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, those who had a sophisticated theological education, that they are rejecting God's marvelous stone. Namely, they are rejecting Jesus. Just as the psalmist's enemies in Psalm 118 rejected the Lord's salvation and reject the psalmist. 
Again, I think my interpretation is on the right track because the high priest, the scribes, the elders, and the Pharisees interpret Jesus to be interpreting Psalm 118 as an indictment against them in Matthew 21, verses 45 and 46. In other words, those who heard this parable, they got the interpretation right. But let me tell you this, you can understand theological truth and still go to hell. If you don't repent and follow King Jesus. So those of us in this room who have some theological degrees behind our names, may this make us tremble with fear. Give you some evidence to support that what I'm saying is right. In verse 43, Jesus says the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. That you is plural. So he's saying... Y'all, the kingdom of God will be taken away from y'all. Who are the y'all in Matthew 21, verse 43? The y'all are the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, and the Pharisees. In other words, the y'all are the religious establishment. And the kingdom of God will be given to those who produce fruit. Who are those who produce fruit in the gospel of Matthew? Answer. Those who repent and follow Jesus. Those are the ones who produce fruit. Remember John the Baptist preaching in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 8 to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When they come to John to hear his preaching, the Baptist asked them this question and listen to the content of the question. Brood of vipers. Who demonstrated to you to flee from the coming wrath? In other words, why are y'all here listening to my sermons? John asked the religious people. He says, therefore, produce fruit worthy of repentance. Those who repent and follow Jesus are the ones who are producing fruit worthy of repentance. Remember Pastor Jamal's sermon, I think last week, chapter 21, verses 23 through and following. The tax collectors, the sexually immoral who repented and followed Jesus were the ones who received the kingdom of God. The religious who rejected Jesus, they were left out. So hear this word this morning. Come one, come all sinners today to King Jesus and inherit the kingdom of God. If you are a fornicator, an adulterer, a liar, a thief, a slanderer, and pick any other sin, come one, come all to Jesus, turn from your sin, walk away from your sin, give your life to Jesus Christ have your sins forgiven, follow him until you die, and you will inherit the kingdom of God. But if you are a self-righteous, religious hypocrite, the kingdom will be taken away from you. Matthew chapter 7 tells us repentance that results in a life yielded 
in absolute allegiance to King Jesus and his pattern of righteousness that flows from hearts devoted to him as we walk the narrow and difficult path that leads to life. Those are the ones who inherit the kingdom. Those who refuse to repent and those who refuse to follow Jesus will not bear fruit worthy of repentance. But they will stumble over him. They'll stumble over the stone of salvation and they will experience the wrath of God. Matthew 21 verse 44 says, anyone, I want you to hear that. Anyone who falls on this stone that is, anyone who rejects Jesus will be broken to pieces. That is, this person will suffer God's wrath. Now, Jesus' audience, as I said, knows that he's talking about them. Because they want to kill him. They didn't say, good, good story, Jesus. <laughs> Come back and tell us some more. Verse 45 and 46. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. The religious establishment in Jesus' day were analogous to the psalmist's enemies in Psalm 118 who rejected the one who comes in the name of the Lord because they rejected Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Consequently, they will suffer the wrath of God because they did not repent. And hear this, so will you suffer the wrath of God unless you repent and follow Jesus. And faithfully follow him until you die. So I have two applications. Number one. Repent and follow Jesus today and be saved from God's wrath. If you're not a Christian. And I want those of you who are watching this on live stream. And those who are here who might not be believers. There is an abiding wrath of God that is coming upon this entire world. There's a day reserved when Jesus will return from heaven and earth and pour out wrath and judge all of those who rejected him. And the only way you can be saved from that coming day of wrath is if you repent right now and give your lives to Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin. Believe by faith that God offered Jesus to die on the cross, to absorb his wrath, and believe by faith that God resurrected him from the dead so that you can be saved from God's wrath. And if you give your life to Jesus and follow him until you die, you will be saved. And know this, faith is not a moment's decision at a youth camp to believe some information about Jesus. Faith is a commitment to live your life in absolute loyalty to Jesus and follow him faithfully until you die. 
No, faith is not perfection. I've said this before. It's not perfection. I got sin in my life that I put to death, fight against every day. Faith is, however, faithful obedience worked out from hearts that are transformed by the gospel and are yielded to the king. Faith is not obedience, but you don't have faith unless there is obedience to Jesus. So if you want to have eternal life, turn from your sin and give your life to Jesus. Come on and bring that fornication to the cross today, folks. Bring that adultery to the cross and let it go. Bring the sins to which you've given your life as a slave to a master. Let them go and come to Jesus and be saved from God's wrath and receive the gift of salvation and the people of God to help you walk in the path of righteousness. And notice I didn't say of perfection. If y'all want perfection, you ain't going to find it here. But if you want salvation, and I'm still talking to lost people, give your lives to Christ today. Second application. Those of us who are believers, Jesus calls us not to be popular, but to be faithful. And faithfulness to Jesus, hear this, it might just get you crucified in this world. God will honor faithfulness with eternal life. But the world may reward your faithfulness to Jesus with suffering. But the Lord's called us to be faithful, not popular. If we are yielding our lives in complete loyalty to Jesus, let's faithfully follow him until we die. We already know we're going to suffer for our faith in Christ. We already know we're going to struggle with people persecuting us because we're following Jesus faithfully. But here's the call. The call is be faithful. Now, I know this is a heavy sermon, but you can say amen. We don't have time, brothers and sisters, to be playing games with the devil. There are lost people who are going to hell right now because they don't know Jesus. And they need the people of God not to tickle their ears with whatever, whatever fancies us, but they need the people of God to be faithful so that we can be a means by which the Lord delivers sinners from His wrath and gives them eternal life. And so that we can be a means by which we, the people of God, can help each other grow in our faith. And He calls us to be faithful to King Jesus. Where we work, where we live, where we play. And to be faithful to the people of God. So brothers and sisters, may we repent And we follow Jesus until we die. <laughs> so that we would inherit eternal life. 
And may the prospect of God's future salvation and future wrath be a motivation to compel us to be faithful. Amen? God uses the carrot, something good, to draw us to Himself. But He also uses the stick. The stick is something that disciplines us. The cross and the resurrection are beautiful and glorious. It's the carrot. The stick is the threat of God's wrath. So may we be faithful to follow Him until we die. Amen. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.